Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. My name is Adam and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing on this fine Sunday evening? Are you well? Yeah, I'm doing good, mate. Just another Sunday. Um, certainly in the thick of it at the moment with the old COVID business, but uh, the F1 season is hopefully on the horizon soon. So that will give us something to look forward to. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, even though the winter break hasn't been that long technically it always feels like an eternity every single season and um until pre-season testing comes around which won't be until mid-march now it's still going to feel like an eternity even then so hopefully that does pass quick hopefully everyone is doing well and staying safe at the moment and obviously hopefully this will pass and we'll be able to get on with Formula One very, very soon. But in the meantime, of course, there has been some news regarding the current state of affairs regarding coronavirus and how it could possibly affect F1 for 2021. So I think, you know, let's have a look at some of the debates going on at the moment, Courtney, some of the rumours that we're hearing in the news. And then let's try and add our own two cents to them and see, you know, what we think, as well as you guys in the comment section on YouTube as well, watching this uh, podcast on YouTube. Uh, let us know what you think in these debates and let us know what you think is going to happen or what F1 can do perhaps to mitigate the COVID situation further. So firstly, we've been hearing a lot of rumors in the news, Courtney, um, you know, in relation to the calendar stuff, stuff that we've been hit, we've yeah. been talking about quite recently. And some of the rumors in the news have been speculating as to whether or not we're going to have the calendar that was originally proposed for 2021. And already we've seen, um, as we mentioned in last week's episode, which of course you can see if you click on the link up there, um, Australian Grand Prix has been postponed. Of course, it's been moved to Bahrain, the first race of the season and pre-season testing. And that and the Chinese Grand Prix as well, it makes people 
um, or people have been speculating as to what other races may be affected by uh, this new strain of COVID and obviously if those races are going to happen there at all. I mean, last season we had a lot of races that were taken off the calendar and of course we ended up having races that were added on in increments in stages we had a very much a european calendar that's right there are a lot of alternatives that some people have been speculating some outlets have been speculating um as to sort of replacement races places like the nurburgring that we had last season uh, that was brought in uh magello again another race we've already seen imola and portimao included to the Canada for this season. Um, other races that have been under threat, places like Monaco, Azerbaijan, Canada, purely and simply because of where it's situated in the calendar. Um, above all else, we haven't heard any concrete or confirmation, any concrete information, I to say, mm-hmm. from a reliable or credible source within F1's inner circle, um, confirming or denying that this is actually taking place. First of all, how likely, Courtney, do you feel right now that perhaps an alternative calendar um needs to be prepared if it hasn't already and in addition to that how likely do you think um that alternative calendar could become the reality if the covid situation doesn't improve well yeah because there's so many factors that do come into this you know it's the the situation with the the virus itself the quarantine measures that each country is implementing and also the the progress with the vaccine within different countries because the progress is very much different like with the uk we're doing fairly well so in terms of the british grand prix you're probably a bit more optimistic that we could even possibly have a percentage of the crowd by then but then you look at like some of the countries particularly where races are held in cities like canada azerbaijan and then obviously the countries that are involving moving to different continents. Particularly earlier on in the season, it would surprise me if we saw something like we've seen with Australia and China. It would surprise me if we saw some changes. But if there was some more European races bought in, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But certainly they must have a draft of races because unlike last season, they're a lot more prepared. And it's becoming more and more apparent how much people are relying on live sport at the moment. So they will be putting things in place to ensure we have as much of a season as possible. Absolutely. And I mean, that last point you made, um, I I mean, we're football fans as well. Obviously, you can see from the get up, um, as well as Formula One fans, that, you know, live sport is very, very important in keeping the morale as high as it possibly can be for uh, a viewing audience or just a population in general that are trying to find ways to pass the time productively but also keep their spirits up in this difficult time and you know Formula One last season proved to be without a doubt um, a fantastic spectacle uh, for anyone that wanted to watch Formula One racing you know when other sports were really struggling to sort of have a contingency or continuity plan and how to deal with COVID without any sort of spike in cases or uh, infections etc F1 really did a fantastic job And what we saw was that other than perhaps a few rare occasions throughout the season, and of course the earliest indication of the spreading cases in Australia, F1 handled it very, very well. You know, there wasn't a case where, uh, you know, races had to be called off midway through the season. You know, we had the start of the season plan and then we added races as time went on and it proved otherwise to be a very successful season. I think what F1 is worried about is 
you know, having a situation where a lot of venues that want to host Grand Prix, owing to COVID situations in their own respective countries and travel restrictions, as we saw what prevented races in Australia from happening when they were scheduled to happen, um, they, they wanna, they're worried about a situation where we may end up with more races having to take precautionary measures or request uh, postponements in their original schedules so that they can happen later on in the Canada. Australia kind of beat them to the punch because it's the first race. Naturally, you'd think they'd have to take that contingency plan in, under consideration more seriously than others will. Um, but then there are going to be other places, as you mentioned, the British Grand Prix, despite the situation going on in the UK in terms of infection rates and deaths, etc., which is obviously makes for very sad reading. The plan or the best case scenario would be with the vaccination being, you know, there's two or three different vaccinations in the UK already. Um, and because of that, there's a very good chance that if it's administered correctly and everybody does what they're supposed to do, that we could be in a situation where COVID is not exactly the top of the agenda. Like it's still something that we need to mitigate, but it's not really going to affect things like the British Grand Prix or other live sport in the summer. You know, that's, that's the best case scenario. Other countries and other venues don't have that luxury, nor do they have the time, like Silverstone does, to actually prepare for that sort of scenario, the best case scenario. They kind of have to make their plans now. So I think F1's really worried. Um, if they're not, they should be, uh, in terms of sort of figuring out the logistics. Um, I mean, in general, a 23-race calendar is a very difficult thing to achieve. I think it's, exactly. I think it's borderline... Uh, unethical in terms of a mm -hmm. um, human perspective because I feel like the mammoth effort that these guys put in in a very condensed season last year was absolutely incredible as a one-off but if you think about it 23 races is nearly a race every other week and we've got three times this season that we're going to have a triple header later on in the year it's ridiculous and this is meant to be in a normal year this is not going to be a normal That's year right. like last year was so there's a lot for F1 to consider on this part, and I'd be very surprised if they haven't already put certain plans in place for any races in the early parts of the season that need to drop out. I don't think we're going to end up with a situation where we have a delay until July before we get racing, but I do feel that there is going to be some room for some races to come earlier, perhaps, than they would have liked, or perhaps some other races to be moved further back in the season where it's going to be even more condensed. So I'm a bit concerned about how that's going to affect the teams and drivers towards the latter end of the season, because there's not a lot of room to move stuff about, but it does seem that that may be required more so than not. And let's not forget, though, all these, as we've already mentioned earlier on, different countries have different sets of rules when it comes to quarantine. So then some countries might not even allow them in based on the, the mm. current dates that the calendar are setting. So it all needs to be put together. And you're right, with the human element, you have to think about how for how long these people are going to be away from their families. I know that's the, the case to an extent, but usually they can go back and forth, particularly like most of the drivers either live in Monaco or the UK. They could tend to go back and forth from races, particularly if they're in Europe. Mm. They might not have that luxury. So you're right, have that many races condensed is impractical in many ways. And uh, let's hope that, you know, they prop, they consider every avenue of the situation that we're currently in and come up with a good solution. So everyone's happy to, uh, to a good extent. Mm. I certainly don't envy the person in, uh, responsible for sort of uh, getting that put, uh, getting that put together. So um, 
Mm. Yeah, we'll have to watch this space and see what happens. But there's a lot of rumors and stuff flying around. All the credible sources are sort of denying that these alternative strategies are going to be put in place or at least even being considered. So it does seem for the time being that the calendar or the schedule that we saw a few weeks ago being confirmed is still the one that they're anticipating to use. Minor a few tweaks that we've already mentioned in uh, in our previous episode. Yeah. But um, I would be yeah. very surprised. I, at this point, I hope I'm wrong. At this point, the three races I look at and I can't see happening are Canada, Monaco, and Azerbaijan. I can't, I just can't see them happening. I can't see them putting, having a Formula One race in city centres. Mm. I, I know Canada is just on the outskirts, but with Canada, it involves going to the other side of the world. And I can't, at this point, again, hope I'm wrong. But they're the three races I'm really look at that are sort of, mm, I think that's unlikely at this point. Yeah, I find it a bit strange in general why Canada is kind of positioned that where it is in the calendar. If anybody does know, uh, please do let me know in the comments why Canada is put there in particular, because it's so random to have all the European races and Canada slap bang in the middle um, next to France. And all the other races in that part of the world don't happen until later on next year. You'd think naturally you'd want to put the Canadian Grand Prix next to the US Grand Prix. I wonder if that's something to do with the climate because Possibly. I don't want to get too, yeah, because I don't want to get too, too geeky here, but isn't Canada on like a similar sort of, sort of a normally position like compared to the UK and a lot of Western Europe. So I wonder, because obviously with Canada, they get a lot of colder weather, don't they? Possibly. So Mike uh, could be. Hmm. Like, tell us. Let, let us know. Let us know in the comments, please, because it's yeah, probably, we're intrigued to know why that's the case. It probably is something as simple as that, Courtney, as you mentioned. It might just be a lot colder there. But then I would sort of add the caveat, um, or the rebuttal, if you like, that we've had races last season where it was sort of like mild, cooler temperatures. And mm. it, I, I don't think it can hurt. I mean, the cars are not set up for that kind of conditions, but if you have to have it there logistically speaking i feel like f1 was going to go down this route anyway um with all the races in the sort of in those continents all at the same time so they've obviously considered that but as i said to me it makes no sense to have it there um especially this year with everything that's been going on but i'll have to watch this space and see what happens um so going on to the next thing um we talked about how the canada could be affected by the current covid situation there have been other rumors in the press of the late, but I think it was the uh, Gazzetta dello Sport, uh, the Italian, quite credible right. Italian newspaper, a very reputable source, was claiming that the F1 regulations that were pushed back to 2022 for the new cars were being considered to be pushed back again, owing to the lack of resources that the smaller teams are able to put together um, following the contingency plans they've had to make from COVID. Long story short, what that means is, assuming that these rumours are true, is that F1 is concerned that despite these new regulations having the intended effect of uh, mitigating the gulf or any advantage that, say, Mercedes have over everybody else and try and bring the pack together, that can't be achieved or realised because the smaller teams with a smaller budget before the cost cap gets put into place can't allocate the necessary resources to their 2022 cars, whereas the bigger teams can and therefore meaning there's going to be more scope for them to try and find loopholes or ways around the rules or find new aerodynamic innovations which will mitigate um the, the shrinking of the gulf in t- in delta between those two se- between the teams so 
you know, first things first, Courtney, um, despite constant people constantly denying these rumours, do you think there is a logic to perhaps moving the regulations scheduled for 2022 back another year for 2023 in order to allow the smaller teams that don't have the resources because of COVID right now to be able to use them in 2023? Well, considering the unfortunate fact that we still seem to be in the same boat as we were, generally speaking, as we were to where we were last year, and we know what happened. It was pushed back by a year, so it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if it was to happen again. But at the end of the day, one of the main reasons why the F1 teams have agreed to this big change is for the smaller teams to be able to catch up and effort there to be a more competitive grid because... You've got two potentials here because if this potential situations for this, if this were to continue, not only are you risking the smaller teams not being as competitive going forward long term, you're also possibly putting them under threat when it comes to their financial stability, which could even lead to teams dropping out of the sport altogether. Mm. So there, there could there could be some thought where there might be a little bit of short-term pain, long-term gain when it comes to the state of Formula 1 because I'm sure anybody watching this that they think, oh, if this was to happen, we're going to have yet another year of Mercedes dominance. And, you know, even though the midfield's been great, the, the main the main thing that bugs non-Mercedes fans is obviously dominance of Mercedes. And nobody can really see that happening until the big regulation change. Mm. So as disheartening as that prospect may be to some people. If it was to happen, and I know it's, just, it's, it's another year, but the reason for these regulations is to make the sport more entertaining long-term. So, personally, if it happens, it's, it's certainly necessary, or we risk going into the big regulation change and not actually seeing much of a change in the pecking order anyway. Yeah, I mean, the regulations were put in place, as you mentioned, to close the gap between the bigger teams and the smaller teams and eliminate that financial gulf between those two sets of teams, especially with the cost cap. And the rules themselves that were put in place that the team's going to be building cars to use for 2021 originally were pushed back to 2022 and the development work that was done on those cars was completely frozen. So the teams last year could only allocate resources to their current cars. They couldn't start working on these new cars until the 1st of January 2021. So whilst they're working on them now, from what we understand, um, the threat of the cars, perhaps regulations being frozen again and pushed back another year, I don't think it's a rumour that you can really ignore. As much as I hope that the FIA decide not to do that, the only true... Um, the only true answer we're going to get, I suppose, or ascertain depends solely on the financial welfare and resourcing of the smaller teams. Now, at this point in time, we haven't really seen any of the smaller teams sort of complain and saying that it's not sustainable right now to have the 2022 cars in 2022 or to have the work. And there's obviously going to be a cutoff point where teams are going to allocate all their resources to 2022. You may find that there might be one or two teams after the first couple of races decide to abandon their 2021 cars right the year off and work solely on next year, which is a possibility. I'm thinking Ferrari might be one of those teams. You know, 
I mean, I don't want to say that they're going to turn up at the first race or preseason testing, realize the car's still bad and like, oh, forget this. We'll just gamble on 2022 like we originally planned. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Ferrari may decide to carry on working on their other car and work on the 2021 car as well. So, you know, there's a lot to consider there. But at the same time, I feel like if the smaller teams were having problems in terms of being able to allocate the resources, they surely would have flagged this up already. I haven't seen any. I think the only team I would have been concerned about before their investment um, takeover was perhaps Williams. Um, but now Doralto Capital have put in place, obviously secured the Mercedes technical partnership with the gearbox and the engine, the hydraulics, everything else. I don't think that's going to be a factor. So in terms of those rumours actually coming to fruition, I don't want to say no, that's not going to happen. But if there were warning signs or red flags being raised, I'm sure that the smaller teams would have made every effort by now to point that out and say, look, if we go roll out these new cars in 2022, we're not going to be able to develop them well enough and we're already going to be on a massive disadvantage and you're not going to be able to achieve the uh, golden outcome, if you like, that you originally set out when you put these uh, plans in place in the beginning. Um, So, you know, there, there is that to consider, but right now I, I don't think that that's very likely that that's going to be pushed back another year. I certainly hope it doesn't. Yeah, do you know, Adam, I want to go back on the previous point you made about certain teams stopping the development early and thinking about next season. Let's not forget, right, obviously how dominant Mercedes have been for how many years now? Six, six years now? Probably seven. Probably about that. Yeah, six, seven years. Mercedes took a big investment gamble two, maybe three years prior to the big regulation change and it paid off for them. So it wouldn't surprise me if there are a team or two that are going to try and take on that approach because if you get it right at the start, you could find yourself at the top for quite a few years as Mercedes are proven. So let's not rule that um, for Ferrari stopping development earlier on because this is a big opportunity for them to get back at the top. Well, I think the ideal scenario from F1's perspective is that they turn up to the first race of the 2022 season all these brand new cars looking fantastic and i'm really looking forward to this era because the cars from the concept designs look amazing i really am a fan of these mm. um the engine development that's been frozen you know from what we've been hearing there's going to be higher revs as well which is going to make the cars sound a little bit better too it's going to be aesthetically pleasing and it's still going to be really quick it may not be as quick as it has been but at those speeds, you very, really notice much of a difference. You only see it on the stopwatch for how different they really are. But I think the one thing that they don't want to see is one of Mercedes, Red Bull or Ferrari dominating the field or those three teams put together just running away from everybody else. And I think there might be some people worried that owing to the large resources that they have, um, if there was a situation where the smaller teams could not allocate resources to these new projects to finish them off and make them as good as they can be, by the time the cost cap comes around, they could find themselves already at a disadvantage and they can't spend more money to catch up. I suppose the only saving grace is that the bigger teams can't spend even more money to maintain that advantage or increase it further, as they have done in the turbo hybrid era. Um Talking about Mercedes, Courtney, you mentioned them in particular, and it's a good point to mention them because they already stopped developing their car about halfway through the season, maybe earlier than that, to work on the 2021 car. There's every possibility that they could do that again, assuming that the 2021 car is as good as I think it's going to be compared to everyone else. I still think Mercedes is going to be very dominant, 
may not be as dominant without the DAS system. Again, we will not know how influential that was, but I'm pretty sure time will tell, depending on what Red Bull do and what the others do. But um, is there a worry that Mercedes in particular could end development early on the 2021 car and then work solely on the 2022 car, which would create a situation where F1 might be worried that they end up dominate in the next era of F1 just as they have this one you can't completely rule that possibility out because from top to bottom Mercedes are an exceptionally run team and they've kept the likes of James Allison Toto Wolff, some of the other management, you know they've all pieced together fantastically and because We've heard them make reference to this quite a lot in the past because there's such a good work, work ethic slash relationship within the team overall. You, not many of them seem keen to leave and try new things. Like, this could be a possibility with the new regulations, but they just seem they just seem hungry to strive to improve and 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 break records and break more records. And because mm. usually when teams start dominating, you start seeing like big names for management move on to other teams and then that era slowly comes to an end but we haven't really seen that and say like we, we saw Paddy Lowe leave in 2014 and we saw Ross Braun leave and I thought okay maybe this domination is only going to be for a year or so but it just seems six seven years later they've managed to keep the core of the team intact. Mm. I think what you're going to find is that in particular, as the you know this new era comes to fruition, whether that be next year or 2023, we don't know that, but we assume it's going to be the former. We're going to see some teams, some of the bigger teams, move a lot of their personnel over to some of the smaller teams that they're supporting. We talked about uh, the possibility of this in the Williams episode we did recently about Mercedes, about B teams in F1. Um, you know, I could put another card up for that one if you wanted to have a listen to that one in more depth. But basically, what bigger team what the bigger teams like Mercedes Red Bull Ferrari will probably do to not only reduce their own spend but to support their big teams if you like is moving personnel that they can afford to move on or they have to move on to satisfy the cost cap and move them into those support teams so in Mercedes case as you mentioned Paddy Lowe and Ross Braun in particular but Paddy Lowe is a good example moving to Williams although that was off his own volition um you know, Mercedes will move some personnel over to Williams to sort of strengthen their position, but also reduce the cost of Mercedes. Because remember, these smaller teams don't spend what the current cost cap will propose. You know, they already underspend it, so they have to find ways to make sure they're spending up, spending a bit more. Hopefully, with increased revenue streams, or assuming that the world is some back to, back to some level of normality by then they'll be able to make enough money for them to make that a possibility. But that's kind of the plan. Ferrari are already doing that with Huss. You know, this Project Schumacher thing, I keep calling it, you know, that's going to involve people that, you know, people already moving over to Huss from Ferrari anyway. They're already building a hub for them at Maranello. Same with Alfa Romeo. And Red Bull have been doing the same with Alfa Tauri, and they're just going to expedite that process even more. So it's something that we've seen a lot in Formula One already. And I feel like that is going to be one of the things you're going to see become more apparent when the new rules come into place and the cost cap is in effect, you know, transfer of personnel between the two teams. It, it may serve to be uh, like a junior, a senior program in the way that the drivers are. I, I doubt it will be something as straightforward as that, because obviously you'd want 
some of the best people working in the B teams, as good as junior personnel are, you don't want it to be seen as an opportunity for them to work there and then move them up into the senior team if things go well. But then it could be used for that if they wanted to. So um, we'll have to wait and see how that turns out. But as I said, I'm a bit concerned that, um, the, and I'm sure F1 are probably concerned that if you end up in a situation in 2022 where Mercedes dominate 2021 and they decide to stop developing their car, uh, I mean, Ferrari did this. Um, I remember back in 2002, Ferrari, uh, sorry, not 2002, yeah. Was it two, no, 2004, I should say. They stopped developing the car halfway through the season. Still won the championship by quite some margin. But the ironic thing was what turned up in 2005, despite the car, uh, they're running a 2004 car. 2005 car was terrible. So mm. I'm sure a lot of non-Mercedes fans hope that if Mercedes do that, they mess it up quite like Ferrari did back then. But I'd be very surprised if that happens. There's a lot of brilliant people at Mercedes and it was a culmination of a lot of issues. Ferrari outdated, uh, you know, dating back from its concept originally to what went on further. So yeah, I'm not sure that's going to be an issue, but um, yeah, one thing probably should talk about is a bit strange. And I know we mentioned this already, but Lewis Hamilton still hasn't signed uh, the Mercedes contract. I'm going to ask you again, Courtney, because I feel like I need to tease this idea because a lot of people are actually watching the video that we did a couple of weeks ago on Lewis Hamilton's contract situation even now. So thank you so much if you're tuning in to, for that. Um, but because of that, we are now, was it 68 days away from pre-season testing? Lewis still hasn't signed yeah, the contract. that right. Do you find that strange? Um, because I'm not going to lie, I kind of thought after we recorded that, that surely we get some level of confirmation, but we've been hearing a lot of conflicting reports as to what's going on, whether negotiations have stalled somewhat or Lewis wants um, control over his teammate for 2022, whether that be Russell or Bottas, um, amongst other things as well. So where do you kind of sit on this? Do you feel that there are issues in negotiations or do you feel that this is something that Lewis and Mercedes are still quite laid back about? And when the time is right, Bear in mind, we've still got two months until pre-season testing. It will get done, for lack of a better way of putting it. As you've already stated, there's there's a lot of rumours circulating on the matter. Um, some of the stuff I see, you can sort of see the uh, the undertones of hatred towards Lewis, which hmm. which 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 is a tad it's. When it comes to Lewis Hamilton, we've already kind of we kind of get a taste of that when we mention him in previous videos in our comment sections. That this always seems to be he polarizes opinion. At the end of the day, I I I respect him for what he does as as a driver, but he seems to polarize opinions. So then often the stories that you get, even in the media, you can always tell there's undertones based on their opinions of Lewis. Mm. So then like rumors about the. It's called the George Russell clause. That's what I've seen sort yes. of um, yeah. Yeah. written. And and I, I I did I did state that I think George Russell, the way that George Russell performed in Bahrain, certainly has given a little uh, Mercedes a little bit of food for thought. But I just I just feel that when it comes to Formula One, it always it's always difficult to get accurate news when it comes to Lewis Hamilton because as I said you always sense undertones in the reporting mm. of Lewis, but it's, it's a little bit ominous. You're right. It's a little bit ominous that we're only a couple of months away. Cause you usually get some kind of indication or, or within the media, even like the social media, start putting little hints out that, you know, everything's okay. And 
It's just Lewis is in a very interesting part of his career where it seems because one of the rumours that has been going around is that Lewis wants a long-term deal, but Mercedes want a short-term deal. Because I think, again, I think they are considering Russell. Hmm. So but with with yeah. Lewis, you're probably thinking you're probably thinking oh, Lewis, Lewis probably only has two, maybe three good seasons based on his age. So I reckon they must be trying to find some middle. I reckon it's mainly down to level of contracts more than anything else. It's hard to say in Formula One what the life expectancy is of a Formula One driver at the top level, especially for someone as good as Lewis Hamilton. Because I mean, we see drivers like Raikkonen, even Alonso, even Schumacher to a degree. Um, you know, was racing into their 40s. And, you know, unlike other sports, you know, I mean, obviously it's in a very athletic sport, even though they are using a car, to, um, you know, all the time. They don't really judge Formula One drivers too much based on age in the same way as you would a professional footballer or a tennis player, although Roger Federer is certainly rewriting the rule book on that one as well. It does make you wonder how long Lewis Hamilton wants to keep doing him for. And in some cases, it comes down to how long does a driver want to keep going more than anything else. Most drivers retire not because they can't do it, it's because they don't want to do it anymore and they want to do other things, which is absolutely fair enough. I mean, I'm kind of the opinion I'd want to do it for as long as I possibly could. Um, But then, like myself, they all had a similar dream and they obviously achieved it. That's why I'm doing a podcast rather than actually being talked about. But... um, yeah, it's really strange when you look at F1 drivers in that regard to sort of think how how long is their shelf life? How much more have they got to offer? Mm-hmm. And in Lewis's case now, only just turned 36, you'd imagine, yeah, not many years left in him. Although driving at the level he is, he could carry on for as long as he wanted to. It does seem strange, despite the fact Lewis handles his own deals. And maybe that is a factor in all of this. And that Mercedes have George Russell as well to consider that something has not been signed or at least a compromise has not been reached. Um, as long as this goes on, it does increase the chances that Lewis may not stay on. And ultimately that means retiring altogether because this isn't a situation that if Lewis doesn't sign for Mercedes, he'll go somewhere else. There is nowhere else to go. Even if there were seats available, why would he go there when he'd given up the best seat in Formula One, one that he's curated and earned by an unequal nature. So, I suppose the only thing I can ask you, Courtney, on this one, well, two things, actually. First of all, um, do you think that one-off performance from George Russell in Sakir could prove to have been the mitigating factor in why Lewis has not already signed a contract with Mercedes? And two, do you think um, Lewis Hamilton will sign to stay on at Mercedes and I'm and I mean realistically I know you'll probably say yes but how likely do you think that would be is there any realistic possibility in your mind that Lewis may walk away from Formula One if a deal is not agreed at first glance with Mercedes so with George Russell um I was one of the many people that loved to see see him race for Mercedes you know like there was a lot of love for George Russell when it happened, but if you're just thinking, if you're if you're a manager of a Formula One team, even though they must be considering him to an extent, I don't think that just one race by George would really sort of put him up against Lewis Hamilton when it comes to the driver that they want. You know, it'd be it'd be a little bit like having sort of a young player coming off the bench for Barcelona and then saying, oh, do you know what? I think I might have him replace Lionel Messi. You know? Mm. So, 
it's it's a tough. But from a for, if we're just going to put sort of the love for Georgia side, from a sporting perspective, I'd find that difficult to understand if that was to happen. And when it comes to Lewis staying, if it was like any any sort of 95 percent of drivers, I'd say, yeah, do you know what? He'd stay on. He'd stay on. But with Lewis. He's, he's one of those characters that has a knack of surprising you. Mm. So he, I don't know. He, he, it wouldn't completely shock me if it was around a cup of Lewis, it, 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 it'd be gutting, but it wouldn't fully surprise me because he's, he's, he's sort of shown signs already that he's thinking about other projects. Mm. So it wouldn't fully surprise me. But if I'm just thinking from a pure Formula One perspective, I can see him staying on, but. Yeah, it's a tough one. You can you can tell it's a tough one. I mean, it must be so hard to find the driver motivation to keep chasing uh, mm. an even larger legacy than he's already made, if that's even possible. I mean, we were talking the other day about this, about the sort of records that Lewis is talking, you know, putting together, what he's already achieved in the sport. How much more can he really achieve? How much more can he do in Formula One? What is the motivation to stay? And you know, money, probably not. Although, he, you know, from what we've heard, he does seem to be asking for a lot. But then at the same time, if you know your value, go get you, go get it. And I'm pretty sure as a commodity, as an F1 driver, the, you know, everything else that Lewis is worth, um, the whole, how can I put this, the whole package, I think is the best way of putting it, then absolutely. I think, you know, he can totally justify what his demands are in terms of the financial element. The other elements Mercedes perhaps not too keen on in terms of maybe picking his teammate. And, you know, this is all speculation. We don't know how true this is, but I'd be very surprised if Lewis didn't want, uh, didn't ask for as much control as perhaps the demands are suggesting. But there is that growing sense that as long, the longer this gets drawn out and the other projects that Lewis has, because let's face it, Lewis is a guy that's got other avenues. He's not all about Formula One, there is a growing sense that perhaps him walking away may be a possibility if they can't agree a deal in the short term and neither side is willing to budge. Mercedes have contingency plans and very good ones at that. So we'll have to wait and see what happens on this. It's very strange to be talking about this again, but and I feel like this won't be the last time we talk about this before we get some news on what happens. But do let us know what you guys think on that one are you concerned or worried that lewis has not signed yet and what that could mean um or are you happy that lewis hasn't got a contract for next season and when i say happy i don't mean all you guys that hate on lewis hamilton and want to criticize him can just have a free range in the comments i'm not saying that what i'm saying is do you think are you happy would you be happy that an opportunity perhaps for someone like a george russell will present itself at mercedes at long last rather than waiting to see if mercedes budge or not on bottas because it's going to be one of them that's got to give up their seat for George Russell to get his chance. And I think we already saw in Sakir that George is more than capable of fitting that seat rather well and, you know, getting the most out of his car. But uh, I digress on that one. I think we've probably wrapped it up for this episode, Courtney. Um, yeah. Before, obviously, we close this one out, to let you know, guys, of course, we started a retro podcast series where we went back in time to talk about one of the races of F1's past. And in that race was the 2008 Brazilian Grand Prix, where Lewis Hamilton won his first world championship. That is on the channel now with the DNF1 Retro Podcast. So do check that out. Just got another card to advertise that one. And of course, this week, 
We want to know what race you would like us to cover for this week's Retro Podcast. Would you like us to do perhaps the 1988 Grand Prix in Japan, the showdown between Senna and Prost, for example? I know this one I would like to do, and I'm sure you guys will probably enjoy that too. Or perhaps the 1998 Belgian Grand Prix where Damon Hill won a crazy race, the famous crash between Schumacher and David Coulthard, one that ultimately cost Michael Schumacher the World Championship in 1998 all things considered um so let's know in the comments below which races you'd like us to cover also in next week's podcast we've seen a lot of people do their 2021 predictions um we haven't bucked on the trend we are going to go on to that but we are going to be joined by a very very special guest a very talented uh, a girl talks f1 Menena, she is going to be joining us so make sure to check that one out that'll be on next monday's podcast and if you are not familiar with Menena's work she does a lot of great stuff related to f1 a lot of great podcasts as well and we will leave links and descriptions to her channel in next week's episode so you can check her out all that's left to say is thanks courtney for joining me once again on this dnf1 podcast yeah, love doing it. Very intriguing times. And uh, I hope we tackled the uh, the subjects in the way that you enjoyed. <laughs> well, we certainly try to and, and uh, hopefully we're doing that. But if you enjoyed the video, make sure to leave a like and also subscribe to the channel. And don't forget to follow us on our revised Twitter and Instagram pages. We've, we've changed the handles on some of those. And you also recognize a nice new logo for those as well. So I hope you like that too. Make sure to give that a follow as well. But until then, guys, stay safe. Thank you very much for tuning into this week's podcast. And we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. Podcast Network.